What's going on, Profitable Public Speaking listeners? Mark Birdie here, and we have an episode where our guest went from being a practicing physician to an international professional speaker. So if you're wondering, how do I make a transition from the job or the career path that I have now to becoming a successful speaker. And you're just thinking more about the transition. You might be totally new. You might have one gig under your belt. This is going to be a great episode for you. So our guest who joins us, she is a visionary, best-selling author, and highly sought-after physician leader. She is a board-certified occupational and environmental medicine physician, public health expert, and a breast cancer survivor. So our guest who joins us is none other than Dr. Cherie Prentice. Dr. Cherie, welcome to the show. Oh, Mark, I've been looking forward to this opportunity to be a guest on your show for a couple of months now, and I'm super excited about sharing my progression and the reinvention of myself and hoping that some of what my life lessons have been will help others in their transition as well. Well, a few months in the making have finally led to this moment. It is certainly a pleasure to have you on the show. And there are a lot of people who maybe they have a job or they have a career path that they haven't necessarily been on the stage too much or at all. So how did you, like, what did the beginning stages of that transition look like? So you were able to approach the stage, but also land some of those initial speaking gigs. Great question. Well, as you aptly stated, I was a practicing physician and uh, speaking to patients and family members uh, was something that I was uh, very comfortable with. I had also participated uh, in certain research programs and so I had an opportunity to present research findings. So I, I had found myself comfortable presenting in front of audiences. Uh, so I did not have to overcome mm. any stage fright, if you will. Uh, but what I was faced with uh, when um, lymphedema, which is a disease that resulted after the treatment of my breast cancer, uh, when that disease left me disabled from the clinical practice of my job, I found myself after a lifelong dream of wanting to be a physician ever since I was two years old. And after practicing for 16 years, all of a sudden now I had no career. And quite frankly, at that moment, I felt like I had no purpose. And I had to really take a step back and, and examine and evaluate what was I good at? What talents did I have? And what gifts did I have that lied within me that maybe I hadn't really utilized to its full potential? And uh, certainly I had friends and family that uh, reiterated to me that I had a very large mouth and a very, very good vocal ability. And so individuals shared with me, well, why don't you speak? And in my head, I just thought about, well, yeah, I speak to patients and family members all the time, but what do you mean by speaking? And I took a step back and realized that, you know, well, yeah, I, I do speak well. And I found, I started off by sharing something that was near and dear to me. So I would say to anyone that is thinking about moving into a speaking career, first develop what your story will be. 
And for me, mine was a very personal transitional story, a, a story that was wrought with a lot of ups and downs and pain, but ended up with victory uh, on the other side. And so for me, honing in that story that I could share that would be applicable to a number of different audiences uh, led me to rebrand myself and open myself up for speaking. Uh, so that was the first step. And it's interesting that Dr. Shuri mentions the story because we'll use podcasting in this example for me. There's so many people who could talk about podcasting. You just have a few strategies, you have a few tactics, and you just sprinkle them throughout your presentation. Maybe the case studies are slightly different. The thing that really makes you stand out is your story, who you are and so many people forget about that. And it's one thing to have an idea of like, this is what my story is. I would talk a, a little bit about this. I might cover that. But if you do want to go pro as a public speaker, you have to have your stories down. So how did you go from, okay, I have a vague idea of what my story is. I know the general things to hit versus really having it down, what parts you mention, how you weave it into your speech, and just crafting that whole story. Mm, great question. One of the things that helped me was to determine what are the parts that make for a good presentation or keynote. Because as you are aware, there are some keynotes that you are simply on the stage, you have no additional visual aids at all. Sometimes it may be a round table type of discussion. And then there are other uh, environments where you are able to bring something like a PowerPoint to your keynote presentation. And so depending upon which way you're able to go, that will kind of help you determine how you structure your actual keynote presentation. But you have to always remember that it has to, like we learned in grammar school, there has to be that intro, then that body, and then that conclusion, right? And so what you learn when you really want to take it up a notch, your intro has to be something that grabs the audience. So maybe you may lead in with a joke because maybe humor is something that you're gifted at. Or maybe you may lead in with a question that causes your audience to ponder, hmm, hadn't really thought about that. Or a question that they could say, yeah, I've had that same thought before. And so now you're leading them into something where you're going to now either answer that question or you've led in with a joke that kind of ties in with how your story began. And you have to remember that when you're crafting your story, uh, even if you're not a humorous person, we can all tell interesting either little jokes or maybe even throw in quotes. Maybe you say, I don't know a really good joke, but you can find a quote that relates to your story and do a little digging behind where that quote came from uh, to add interest to your story. And certainly with that hook, you want to leave them with something where they want to know all of the details and how did you work this out? And sometimes for me, I may lead in with, wow, some of you may be wondering how 
a successful physician after 16 years ends up standing before you on the stage telling you and relaying to you how she sat at home uh, with severe chest pain and was ready to die. How could a physician not dial 911 knowing that she's having a heart attack, but yet years later, I stand before you now? You know, so something like that, that leads them to wonder, well, yeah, how did that story end? And you certainly want to, once you conclude in that story, have some form of a call to action, whether that be additional consulting that you could do one-on-one -on -one, because again, you want to grow your business. Yeah. We're talking about profitable speaking. So you want to be able to have something beyond your keynote that you can bring to the table. Maybe you've authored a book. I authored my own memoir when everything changed my journey from physician to patient. And so now that hook or that call to action rather is, if you wanna know how the story really ends, please join me in the back of the room. I'm gonna be selling my book and autographing um, individual copies for you, if you will. Or maybe I may tell them, please go out to my website for my nonprofit, the Live Today Foundation, and support us in our work. Uh, or maybe your call to action is, like Ellen DeGeneres ends it, it, it her, her um, talk show is, be kind. So maybe it's not something additional that you have to offer, but you want to leave your audience with something for them to do, something that they feel they've taken a, taken a part of your keynote and now they're leaving with something that they can put to use immediately that was beautiful i mean there's so many things we could go into there the key things just to because you could just play that back and re-listen because that was just really good the things i'll say is when you have that intro down whether it's the joke or the question that's not just a way to get people engaged that's a way for you to know how to start your speech because it's not the speaking that's the hard part. It's the getting into it that's the hard part. Once you're in your groove, it's easy. But if you're not in your groove, it's a struggle. So knowing how you start is really great. And then thinking about what kind of hooks you want to have to get people curious to see how the rest of your talk goes. And then knowing the profitable side. Uh, if you're paid to speak with that kind of speaking gig, you may not be able to do the consulting, but if you are on some type of free stage or it's a business event and you're allowed to, you definitely want to offer something like a consulting. You could do a book too. Like it's a low price as a way to build trust, but something like a consulting or a coaching is a higher ticket and you've built a lot more trust with the people in the audience. Now, being an international speaker, I mean, you, you do go to all these different places. How do you manage that type of schedule? Wow. Um, judiciously. <laughs> uh, I have to say that as my speaking has grown now, I have had the opportunity to be more selective in not only where I go, but in what I do when I'm there. Because there are times when I'm speaking stateside that I can fly in the evening before. They may offer a VIP reception for some key individuals that they will ask me to be a part of. And then it's not until the following day that I'm doing the big keynote. Well, 
that is a little bit different and that's going to cost you a little bit more because you're utilizing my services that evening before and now you're going to be utilizing my services the following day so that is another way to increase your profitability uh depending upon uh the time period uh, when you're speaking. Now, when it comes to international, I typically don't offer that unless I've had at least a 24 hour period to readjust to my new um, uh, time zone. Uh, it may be uh, altitude issues that I'm addressing. So I allow my body and my mind the opportunity to acclimate to my new environment. So when I'm asked to speak internationally, I'm asking very specific questions, a little bit even more minute than I am stateside, because I'm more familiar stateside. Internationally, I've now done some research on the region where I'm going, because some of the jokes that I may tell stateside, it's gonna totally go over their heads if I'm doing it in one part of the world versus another. And so I'm very conscious about cultural differences ethnic differences, uh, and then the environment of the country at that time. Yeah. And so you have to be careful because there are certain references that you can make that could really increase your engagement and set them on fire. And then there are certain things that you can say that can just kill it from the very moment. Yeah. So you need to do your research so that you can understand what it is you're dealing with. And then so allow yourself that 24 hours before to acclimate. And then when you return home, I tell individuals, depending upon the time difference, you don't want to set another speaking engagement for at least 48 hours. Even though you think your mind, your body is there, your mind may not be that quick to adjust. So be careful about overextending yourself uh, when you're doing international speaking and definitely do your research uh, before going uh, so that you'll make sure that what you are saying is applicable and engaging to the audience for the times uh, for that given country. And it's really interesting the amount of detail that goes into the international piece. I mean, when you speak internationally, you have to realize you're speaking to a whole new audience. Thumbs up in the US, you do thumbs up in Turkey. That's not going to work well for you. That's just one of the things that I know, but there's just each country has its own different things. And you just have to, if you're going to do international, pay more attention to that. A lot of people who are speakers, they may just do national. They may just do in the US or the country where they're from. But if you do want to do international, there's definitely a lot of a deeper element to it. Now, one of the things that I feel like we haven't talked about on the show, but I feel like is part of the attraction with public speaking is the travel experience. So I'm wondering, how do we balance the sightseeing and the touring with the actual speech? Because it's not like you're getting paid to tour the city but you want to tour the city also. So how do we balance those two things together? Well, you know what? Actually, what I've done is, because uh, my husband travels quite a bit uh, with me when I, when I speak. And so one of the things that you can negotiate early on is, one, um, I, I have uh, the anticipation that you will cover uh, two nights of hotel or three nights, depending upon the structure. So you're going to cover me flying in, 
So that night, and then if I'm not speaking until that following day, uh, potentially have them cover one more additional night of hotel for you. A lot of times these organizations already have a connection and affiliation uh, with the hotel. They already will have a certain uh, number of uh, days that would be allotted to them because they're having the event at the hotel. So asking the question never hurts. You're not going to appear greedy uh, because most of the time event planners kind of have this expectation. And so what I do is I'll put it out there up front. I make sure I let them know that meals not covered on the program would also be at their expense. Um, certainly, I don't ask that my husband's airfare be covered, uh, but sometimes I've had clients that will say, please feel free to invite a guest because we want you to take advantage of the entire conference should you choose. And sometimes it may be a three-day conference, but I'm the keynote on the last day. So, you know, you learned how to, to play with that. Yes, you learned how to play with that. And so if I've gotten two nights of hotel, and I'm flying in the day before, my husband and I will set, well, we'll fly in early. We get the opportunity to drop our bags. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, my husband, he's the guru of finding out all of the special tour buses and things of that nature. And so we will book prior before, that day before, some enjoyment. I make sure I don't have too much fun so that I can get a good night's sleep and give them exactly uh, what they have paid for me uh, to deliver to them that following day. And I give it my all. Sometimes I'm there and I'll do throw in an extra uh, media interview. They may have a television station that will come and it's a big event and they just want to ask the keynoter, you know, what is it that you're going to deliver to the audience today? And, and so I'll throw that in as a freebie, but the event planner and the organization, they don't forget that. And they will remember you sometimes not the next year because they don't want to have the same keynoter, but I have been asked to come back from, from a number of organizations two years and three years out because the audience has said that, oh my gosh, she was so great, can you get her back? Uh, and they appreciated the uh, freedom that I gave them in a common additional request that weren't initially in my contract. So, you know, adding on those that the night before and the night of hotel will give you an opportunity to have some play time, but not at your own expense. Mm. And with the whole speaking and traveling, the thing I always realize when I'm speaking, like I've done a few speaking gigs in San Diego, like San Diego is just like a really nice city to tour. And it's interesting because I live close to New York City and in that stretch where I'm in San Diego, I'll probably spend more time in San Diego than New York City for like a month just because like there's a greater sense of urgency to do all the things because in between the speaking and the travel, like you, you really have a bunch of check marks you want to hit and you try and hit them all as quickly as possible. And there are a lot of listeners right now who heard what you just said. And they're like, I'm going to do this in my negotiation. I'm going to charge this price point. And I'm all for having those types of visions for ourselves, but just to, you know, make it a little more uh, realistic. Like, can you talk about how you started? Because it's not like everyone starts with the, oh, you're going to give me free airfare. You're going to give me free. No one starts like that. So can you share with us how you started and built up to that point of the negotiation? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, you have to realize you need to start locally. 
starting locally, building up those those testimonials, those those case studies where you've done a great job. You have to be willing at the beginning to speak for free um, and you know go to and be available for nonprofit organizations, church organizations. Um, sometimes even the smaller for-profit organizations, but they don't have a budget. They have a great idea of a program. They're able to piece together all the pieces for this fantastic program. And then they look up and realize, oh, this would really be over the top if we had a keynote speaker, but we don't really have a budget. We may could do a honorarium of some sorts, but we really would like to have a dynamic speaker. You have to be willing upfront as you are developing your brand and you are creating a new uh, product line for yourself that will eventually bring you some business. You have to be willing to take some speaking engagements and do it for free. I still do certain speaking engagements for free. Uh, depending upon the nature of the event, depending upon the uh, ability to possibly have individuals in the audience that they may hear me and now they want me to come to their organization or their event and actually speak with a fee that's involved. And so never look at an event if you speak for free as one, I'm not gonna give my 100% and come with my A game. You present every single time as if you are being paid the top notch dollar that you are worth. And then two, always approach it in the fact that a lot of your speaking engagements may very well initially, as mine did, come by word of mouth. And so by me bringing my A game 110% every time, whether I got paid or not, led to someone else giving me a referral or someone in the audience um, went to Atlanta for a free uh, keynote. It was a new nonprofit. She had no budget. It was her launch. She had the uh, commissioner coming, but the commissioner pulled out at the last minute. One of the board members knew me, personal friend. She texted me and said, I know this is last minute. It literally was a 48 hour turnaround time. Wow. I know did you be perfect. We called ourselves using the commissioner, which was really going to drum up. She canceled at the last minute. I can pay for your flight, but I need it to just be a day trip. You fly in, present, fly out. We can't really cover hotel, but if you do me a solid, I really appreciate it. And because she was a good friend and because this was a nonprofit, something that I also had a passion with, I gave up my time and I flew and I gave it my all. But at the end, they also allowed me to share my book. So some of the little extras that I talked about selling the book or yeah. making an offer from the stage, those are things you ask the event planner beforehand. So you don't yeah. just bring it on them, you know, you <laughs> ask permission first. And so I had permission to say, you know, well, could I sell my book at the end since, you know, you're not able to pay, maybe I could recoup some of it then. Sold my book at the end, one person came up, bought 40 books for another nonprofit and then referred me for a speaking engagement for a huge annual event that now paid out $15,000 for a keynote. So I said, I went there with zero, but walked away with 40 books from one person sold and then another speaking engagement where this organization is used to, they could spend up to 25,000 on a keynote. And because they uh, their budget the following year was a little bit less than what they were normally used to, you know, $15,000. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not bad at all. So start off local, start off with being willing to um, 
even go to some for free. But while you are starting off, begin to put together your list of desires of where you would like to be and begin to just Google and do some research on what's a reasonable fee to ask uh, new to the game. What's a reasonable fee to ask if, I, if I'm an author? Uh, what is reasonable to ask if I have some additional credentials behind my name? And then just gradually work in uh, asking, because it was difficult for me, Mark. I have to admit, it was very difficult for me initially to come up with, well, what's a reasonable uh, amount to ask for a 45-minute keynote? you know, or an hour and a half workshop. And you, you, you have to play that by ear. I don't think anything is set and written in stone, uh, but you certainly have to be willing at a certain time to ask for what you are worth because only you can determine what that worth is. And part of being a professional public speaker right there, are you willing to do a 48-hour turnaround? You go from having no idea you're going to be a speaker to all of a sudden you're a speaker at this event? Are you willing to do that type of turnaround to make those changes in your schedule if you're open? Because one of the issues is that sometimes you get a bunch of gigs and you say, yes, so I know someone who said yes to every speaking gig he got at one point. And he was already like a well-known speaker. He just had to say yes to everything. The issue is that he said yes to a free gig and then a $10,000 gig came the same day as the free gig he already said yes to. Ooh. So you want to be careful with like not say, you want to like look at your opportunities. You want to have a criteria when you're first getting started, you just take almost everything that ends up on your lap. But notice how Dr. Sharif, she does a 40 hour turnaround, expects nothing out of this, just some extra publicity. She gets the $15,000 gig from that. So Anytime you go to one speaking gig, you get a new speaking gig from each gig you go to, that's going to expand your ability to be a public speaker. And the 40 book sales, that's not something to overlook either. I know 40 book sales is nothing compared to the 15,000, but one of the things I do in my books and I help people with is using your book to get more clients, using your book to get more followers. So there's a lot of stuff you could do within the book to make each of those book sales worthwhile. Now, I know if you guys are like me, you were just really wowed by this episode because there has been so many great insights. So Dr. Cherie, where can we go to keep following your work and journey? Oh, definitely. You can go out to my website, uh, drsheriemd.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-I-M-D.com. There you can follow me, do a little bit more research on me. It'll have all of the times when I am scheduled for speaking and are not available. And then I have a great contact form. And on that contact form, you may want to uh, ask me additional questions. You may want to possibly consider having me come and speak for an event. Uh, but that is the best way to reach out to me. And, or you could also shoot me an email, Sheree at drsheremd.com. We'll have those links down below. Make sure you guys are reaching out to Dr. Cherie if you guys want to. Maybe you ask her a question about the public speaking journey or you just follow her work, but uh, we will have those down below. Dr. Cherie, thank you so much for joining us on Profitable Public Speaking. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Mark, thank you so much, and it was my pleasure. <laughs>